We have reached that moment on the calendar that simply reads, let's get the hell on with this. I mean, August sucks. Preseason sucks. The summer sucks. But you know what doesn't suck? This show. And I'm in a damn good mood because I got to spend some time with Mike Detillier talking about the Saints, past and present. What do we think about these current Saints? What are they going to do this year? Is plus 105 a good value for them to win the NFC South? Are they going to win more than the nine and a half games that Vegas predicts? And what about the late, great Steve Sidwell, one of the fathers and architects of the Dome Patrol? Yep, we talk about that. We talk about LSU and Tulane. Give our predictions on that. LSU, Florida State coming up next week, along with Tulane and South Alabama. You know, this is going to be one of those shows where you might listen to it a little bit today, a little bit tomorrow, a little bit Monday. Who knows? It's okay because you got a whole week before the next one. And this is the last Datitude of August. So who's with me? You are, well, good. It's coming up next. If you're looking for the latest scoop and in-depth interviews on the Saints, the NFL, the Pelicans, LSU, along with the best bets of the week, then lucky you. Along with high-powered, in-the-know guests who cover our teams, Jim Derry brings plenty of datitude. And he'll always tell you the way it is, or at least the way he thinks it is. Where are you at, New Orleans? And hello to all my friends who want to find that heat miser dude and beat the ever-loving crap out of him. I'm Mr. 101. Kiss my ass. I'm about sick of this crap. I'm serious. It's, it's, I'm done. Anyone who's listened to more than one half of these shows knows that I hate summer. But I'm going to be in a great mood today. Told you that already. I am Jim Derry, in case you don't know. And if you don't know, I'm not sure why you clicked play and then clicked play this for this long. But thank you for that. I'm Jim Derry, sports betting writer at the Times Speaking and the Advocate at bet.nola.com. And this, this is most certainly the Datitude Podcast. It's the birthday edition for a Friday, August the 25th, 2023. I have a lot of friends with birthdays this whole week. I mean, too many to even name. Like, seriously. I have a ton of birthdays this whole week, including one I'm not sure. He's probably listening. My friend Dom Carollo, whose birthday is today, as a matter of fact, August 25th. Um, this is my last show before I finish the 54th revolution around Mother Earth. Or I guess I haven't, wouldn't be making revolutions around the Earth. I'd be making revolutions around the sun on planet Earth. But you know what I meant. I mean, no one thinks I'm some great scholarly kind of guy. You know, you get it. Anyway, rambling on. Three, three and a half minutes in, and I'm still rambling on. Get to the guest, Derry. We want to hear Mike the Tellier. Don't make me fast forward again. Okay, all righty. In that kind of mood this morning, are we? Final Saints preseason game. That'll put you in a good mood. Saints and Texans on Sunday in the Dome. I will be in that number. 
uh, up in the press box offering live updates or whatever the hell else we do during a preseason game on Twitter or the X or whatever the hell you want to call it now. Uh, that's got to be the dumbest. I mean, yeah. Let me run off on another tangent. That X thing, that's got to be the dumbest idea ever. That's the dumbest thing since New Coke. I mean, who changes Twitter to X? A guy with way more money than he knows what to do with. But you go for it, Elon. It's your baby. You know? First you took my blue check away, and then you changed it to X. I'm not bitter. I'll put you in the category of summer and the month of August. But whatever. Um, who's going to make this team? Who's not going to make this team? What surprises are we going to see? Um, how has Derek Carr been meshing with Pete Carmichael? How is the offensive line doing? Is it as scary as I think it is, the situation? Jimmy Graham going to make this football team? These are all questions that we asked Mike Dettelier coming up, along with remembering Steve Sidwell. Mike knew Steve Sidwell. I only met him once or twice. Uh, I think twice I met him. Uh, very briefly both times. So I never certainly didn't know him at all. Uh, but, you know, as a kid growing up, well, I guess as a teenager growing up in the 80s and, you know, then later on in my early 20s and the Saints becoming relevant for the first time in my life, um, Steve Sidwell was a big part of that. He was the, again, father and architect, uh, or one of the main fathers and architects of the Dome Patrol. And I thought there was a great, uh, Rod Walker had a great piece this morning and uh, had some great quotes from Jim Moore and Pat Swilling. And Pat Swilling basically say, you know what? Um, I owe a lot of what I am and what I've become to Steve Sidwell and had some great words. And uh, look, I love thinking back to those old Saints days. Again, not necessarily because they were better than any of the recent Saints teams. I mean, I'm not sure that, that Jim Moore's best team was better than, you know, Drew Brees' final couple teams. I don't, I don't necessarily think that they were. Uh, but those four linebackers were the best four linebackers I ever saw play together. And I don't care if I'm biased. Someone needs to prove that I'm wrong. I mean, there are no four better linebackers that played together at the same time for multiple seasons than Ricky Jackson, uh, Vaughn Johnson, Pat Swilling, and Sam Mills, and not in that order. Whatever order you want to put them in, I don't care. The Dome Patrol was the Shiite, in my opinion. So, But Mike talks about all those things. Um, he has a great take on, on all that. And, you know, every time Mike comes on, there are certain guests where, you know what, we might be able to make this a half an hour show, maybe 40 minutes tops. When Mike Dettelier comes on the show, I am certain, I am 100% positive it's going at least an hour, and I'm going to probably have to cut him off at an hour and 15. I mean, not that I necessarily have to cut him off, but look, Mike is a wonderful guest because he is just a bank of knowledge. But we, we talk for over an hour and 15 minutes, um, and I think it's worth listening to. And I think it's so much worth listening to that I'm going to cut off my monologue and I'm going to talk to him uh, right now. Mike Dettelier of WWL Radio, football analyst and local legend extraordinaire. Mike, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thank you, Jim. I'm going to 
press Mike in a little bit for a prediction. And we're going to talk about Steve Sidwell, someone that I'm sure Mike knew very well and uh, sad to hear about his passing, uh, Mike, <clears throat> on Wednesday night. He was a big part of why this team ascended from nowhere to becoming relevant, you know, and we're going to talk about him in a little while. Yeah, he was a great guy. Um, up until probably two years ago, he would come to the Manning Passing Academy with uh, his son, Scott. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I would see him, and he always asked me the same three questions. Michael, <laughs> how are you? And then it was, how's the family? And then the third question, how how's everything with the cannon? You know, so you would always ask about Bobby because he, you know, he knew we was doing shows together and stuff. So uh, for that gravelly voice, and it was real deep, I never heard him holler, you know, because most coaches, you know, when they get upset, you, you'll sort of see that, that rage in them a little bit. But I, I never heard him do that. But he was a really sharp guy, great guy to be around. Um, he would tell you different things that I'm not real sure you hear from coaches today. Yeah. I think they're much more, you know, I'm not going to tell you anything. Uh, back then it was a little different. The relationship between say a coach and a player and the media was different back then than it is today. But Steve was very open about some of the things he was trying to accomplish. And I think it really bothered him at the end when some of the talent that they had won with had gotten older or gotten away in free agency, he got rolled over by Jim Mora. In essence, Mora fired him at the end. Sort of, he was the scapegoat for the fact that the talent wasn't the same. It really bothered to see it. Uh, even though he never said it, I, yeah. could, uh, I could tell it really bothered him. Well, he was, uh, you know, again, uh, one of the fathers of the Dome Patrol. And for those of you younger than, I don't know, 40, 45 or so, I'm sure you know about the Dome Patrol. But to watch that group of linebackers play, in my opinion, the greatest set of linebackers ever to play this game together, uh, in my opinion. And, again, I want to talk about that a little bit more. But, Mike, I want to jump on to the Saints, uh, again, getting ready for their final preseason game against the Houston Texans on Sunday night. Uh, this line has dropped. Not that lines really matter in preseason games, but it went from three and a half to three last night. What, what, what are we looking for in this final preseason game? What are you looking for? What do you want to see out of this final preseason game of the year? I had an old coach tell me years ago, make it difficult for me to cut you. Okay. Go out there and just make plays, make it difficult. That final decision because, Jim, I think everybody would agree. You probably, 45 to 46 players on this team, you know already. Yep. It's those final five to seven players that you're trying to make up your mind on. Now, some of it is helped because of injuries. That, that sort of steers you a certain way. Uh, the other part is that the game has changed where special teams play has become a big part of the bottom part of your roster. If you can aid a special teams unit, I think that that's changed a lot since I first started doing this over 35 years ago, 
Back then, you might have had one guy like that. <laughs> now today, you probably got five to six players like that. So go out and make a play. And do you risk putting a young, talented player who's not maybe ready for prime time today? Do you risk putting him on developmental to keep a veteran player that isn't maybe quite as good or won't be nearly as good a year from now, to, but he's got experience. And you, I keep, you wouldn't be talking about you wouldn't be talking about Jimmy Graham, would you? No, no. I, I okay. think I think Jimmy's made this roster. You do. Surprised if if he didn't. Uh, he had a really good day of camp a couple of days back. You know, Jimmy. The surprise with him is how thin he is. Yes. <laughs> I mean, my first sight when you're on the field and you're not far from him is, wow, he looks like a big, tall receiver. Right. He had picked up some weight when he was in Green Bay with the Bears. He looks like a thin wideout. He's still that big target guy. He can go up and make a catch. Um, I'm not looking for the 2011-2012 Jimmy Graham. Okay, that guy... Okay, we're not going to see again. But, man, he can help me. Short yardage, red zone. It's the most practiced part of a team once training camp ends. Because you get to the 20, 25-yard line, that field is condensed. Now I can do a lot of things scheme-wise to force you to kick a field goal. Well, I want to score seven. So, Jimmy gives you a six foot six plus wideout playing tight end, and he's a mismatch for anyone. Well, and he well, can we, well, and we, we know how much Derek Carr likes throwing to a tight end. I mean, yeah. and not just Darren Waller. I mean, bringing Foster Morrow over. I mean, so that if he does make this team, he's definitely going to be a target, especially when you're talking about in the red zone, because that's who Derek Carr likes to throw to. Yeah, and you think about it, I think it's the most improved area for the Saints from a year ago, tight end. I think Jawan Johnson is the most pr- improved offensive player from last year at yeah. this time to today. He never played tight end until last year. Yeah. Now all of a sudden you see a guy who could put up some really good numbers for you. You understand what Foster is going to bring to the table. He is a big target receiver, but he also helps you in the running game because he can run block extremely well. And then you have Jimmy Graham that can give you another big target wide out tight end and whatever position Taysom Hill is going to play. <clears throat> so that to me from a year ago is much different than it is today. How important and is it making this team? You you got a really good football player, and you, he understands his role in Foster Morrow. How they use Taysom is still, to me, a little bit of a mystery. And I wouldn't tell you, even if I knew, if I was Dennis Allen. Uh, and But it's the improvement of Jawan Johnson at tight end. Well, that, I was going to say, how important is that to be able to free up Taysom to be able to do a lot of different things? You can use him more in the backfield or – maybe even, you know, in a slot if you need to, but you can move him around a little bit more and feel free to be able to do that because of what Jawan Johnson's able to do and because you have Foster Morrow now. 
The other thing, too, is early in the season, three games without Alvin Kamara. Right. <clears throat> you got to figure out a way to get the ball in the hands of Taysom Hill more and late in the year. Okay, because now one thing in the NFL, depth-wise, not very few, very few teams have it. Yep. But by December now, injuries are starting to take uh, a toll on you. And I've got that big guy running the football or him out in the open field. He makes a big difference early in the season without Alvin in the lineup late in the year to finish off some games because of the fact he is versatile and he is talented. But the defenses, man, I don't know when I've ever seen this league as paper thin as I've seen it today from a depth standpoint up front especially offensive line. I mean, it's unbelievable. I look at these preseason games. Uh, we talk about the Saints offensive line, and it's the biggest concern for me. You and I did this show a year ago. It was the biggest concern then. It's the biggest concern for me today. Yep, 100%. I, I heard people before training camp, oh, I'm good with the offensive line. My thing is you could not have watched this team. You could not have watched them, really, if you believed that. I've been saying that for weeks, Mike. And so defensive line, I feel a little bit better about today than I did before training camp. But offensive line, I feel worse. Mike, <laughs> Mike I went as far to say, and I've been saying for the past couple of weeks, because of the uncertainty, I mean, I know Andrus Pete is back at practice and he's dressed out and whatever. Uh, we don't even know if he's going to start. But because Hurst is now looks like he's going to start at left guard, which takes away versatility, and other places, you're counting on Trevor Penning. I think that this offensive line is one major injury away from catastrophe. That's where I think they are right now. And the major injury is the center, Eric McCoy. Oh, no doubt okay. about that. Um, I've been a big center guy for a long time because, you know, in doing scouting. That's like Steve Court, that's why. Yeah, well, I, I like <laughs> Steve, but it was maybe even before Steve. Uh, that that center is really the quarterback of the offensive line. Okay, he's communicating with the two guards, the two tackles, and if you play an inline tight end, you're communicating with there. The difference is, years ago, most of your extra pressure was coming off the edge. Today, watch where the pressure comes from. Right up the A-gap, right up the middle. So, and where, and who's doing it? Is it a safety? Is it a linebacker? Is it a little bit of a delay on the defensive lineman? And today, if you lose a center, it, it really affects your game all across the board. Mort Olson with the goal sheet wrote about this back early 2000s. So it was a Diliberto bet back then. Mm -hmm. If you lost your center, man, he would lay cash on that game, but because you didn't cover and you 80% of the time you lost uh, the game if you lost your center. And Mark did a 25-year study that basically proved that. And this was, I'm saying, 04, 03, somewhere. But that has stayed the same. Isn't it a coincidence? Oh, you can say, could it be a coincidence? Two best centers in pro football. Where did they end up playing? Chiefs and Eagles. Super Bowl Sunday. Yep. Chiefs and Eagles. Kelsey, Creed Humphrey with the Chiefs, Kelsey with the Eagles. Have the Packers' offense been the same? People talk about Aaron Rodgers. 
but has it been the same since Corey Lindsley went to Los Angeles to be with the Chargers? Absolutely it, not. Everything kind of peeled apart once Lindsley left. Uh, I'm just telling you, McCoy, other than Derek Carr, is the most valuable guy on this team today. I have and, seen Max Garcia play center. And you could go back in Saints history, Mike. I mean, every good Saints team, you, it's great. We're going to talk about Steve Sidwell in a little while and the Dome Patrol and whatever. And you go back in history and talk about, you know, the last three years, they've had great defenses. But if you don't have a good center, every good Saints team has had a really good center to go with. Yeah, and I think about, you know, if we start in, like, the Peyton Loomis time frame, they go out and get Jeff Fain. Yep. Okay, and Jeff, you know, he was struggling with the Browns. He comes in here. He develops into one of the top centers in pro football, and he got paid as the highest-paid center in pro football. When the Saints decided to trade Jimmy Graham Jimmy off, Graham, who did right? they get in return? Max Unger. Yep. I think Max, in the history of this franchise, is the best center to ever play for the Saints. Wow. The best uh, on this football team. So it does make a huge difference. And even talking to Drew Brees about this, Drew would say, you know, I make a lot of the adjustments myself, but I trusted my center. If it was Brian De La Puente, if it was Jeff, if it was Max, he kind of hung on those guys because for Drew, the worst pressure was not off the edge. It was right up the middle because he's getting rid of the football so quickly. Center, um, other than Derek Carr, I'll repeat it, uh, Eric McCaw is the most important member of this football team because of what he does, making those calls, and being the quarterback of your offensive line. John Turner brings up LaCharles Bentley. Uh, Man, LaCharles was was a terrific football player. Uh, now, he had an injury that sort of short-circuited his career, but he was a good player. <clears throat> he didn't have the length of time right. Unger did. Uh, with, you think about his days with Seattle. Was Seattle's offense the same once they traded him to? Absolutely the, not. They were not. End of story after that. I, I agree, agree wholeheartedly. Better. And look at what the Saints went through to try to replace, you know, Max. It was kind of a revolving door. And then finally, you he was a second-round pick, but you traded a first to get. Right. Jim Darrow here along with Mike Detelier on this Friday morning. I'm so happy Mike was able to join us here on the Datitude Podcast as we get closer to the season. I'd like to have Mike on few times a year, especially right before the season's about to start. Um, lots of stuff going on. Mike, you know, you talk about Derek Carr, and it, obviously bringing him in was key for this franchise and getting that kind of quarterback in here. But what have you seen from him in this one month of practice here? Um, you know, obviously there's no – I say it all the time. Drew Brees is gone. He's never coming back. I mean, Saints fans have to be realistic when it comes to that. But to me, Derek Carr could be that one notch below and take this franchise back to where you have stability at that position. He brings poise. He puts a lot, a lot of work and effort. You can tell. Uh, in this film room, working extra time with the receivers and tight ends, uh, there is a bit of an air of confidence about him that he's going to get this done. 
it's a certainly an upgrade at the quarterback position with Derek over what you've had over the last couple of years. And I just think his ability to win games in the fourth quarter with a bad team, and listen, he was saddled with that in Las Vegas, tells a lot about the guy. And so I feel good about what I've seen from Derek. No, you can't compare him to Drew Brees. There is going to be no comparison there. He's uh, no, there's never going to be another one of those. Yeah, we're not going to see it. Put it to no. you that uh, in our lifetime. But he is a guy that he can win you games in the fourth quarter. Bobby and I had this sort of discussion about he, he's a big Andy Dalton guy. And I get it. And Andy's steady, and he's pretty accurate with the football. But the one thing in the fourth quarter, how many games did Andy Dalton win for you? Uh, that would be none that I can remember. Okay. I know he lost one in t- against Tampa Bay. Yeah, and so my thing is, fair or unfair, don't we judge quarterbacks of what they do, big games, big moments. Absolutely. And most of that is in the fourth quarter. Can you win a game that maybe you didn't play as well? Maybe it was a kind of give-and-take type uh, game. I think Derek's the type quarterback that can win you games in the fourth quarter. But I really think, Jim, the key for this season for the Saints, and I think if you put Dennis Allen on the lie detector machine, he would blow the circuits out if he said, "Uh, I'm not worried about my running game. I think it was an issue last year. They could not run the football when they needed to and had to. And every time Alvin Kamara touched the football, I could have took a team picture of the other team's defense. It looked like they had 10 guys around Alvin Kamara every time he touched the ball. So if you can have a semblance of a running game, which we have not seen in the preseason, they aren't even averaging three yards a rush. That tells you not about the running back. It tells you all about the offensive line that uh, Derek Carr is going to have success with this football team. I think his poise, his presence, his ability to make plays in the fourth quarter are going to really come in good for the Saints. One thing we talk about surprises in camp, and I guess it's not really doesn't have to be necessarily a surprise, but you know, you, it's easy to talk about Alvin Kamara and Jamal Williams. But I think what we've seen out of Kendra Miller and his able to come back you know, that injury he had a week and a half ago, I'm worried. I'm like, this kid's not going to be back until week one or week two at best. And he comes right back in the preseason and plays a good bit and plays well. That catch he made along the left sideline from, from Jameis last week I thought was was big and shows that he can contribute to this team in lots of ways. I think Kendrick Miller is going to play a big role in this team this year. Yeah, I think especially early on, uh, without Alvin in the lineup, you're going to need him. And we know that they're going to lean on Jamal. Yeah. early on, but Kendrick gives him a little bit of time. It's not that he couldn't catch the ball. He could always catch it, but he was a neophyte as far as a route runner is concerned. They didn't throw him the football a lot at TCU. Right. So early in training camp, um, we pointed this out on sports talk because I saw it. He's, he flares out on a pass. Instead of stopping and waiting for Derek to throw him the football, he continues to drift more and more toward the linebacker and the safety. Well, as soon as he catches it, they stripped it from him. 
I mean, you could see Derek talk to him, but Alvin Kamara come up to him and say, hey, 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 stay where you are. Don't drift out that way. You drifted right into coverage. He's learning how to become a better route runner. But Jim, what he's got is something I saw at TCU. He's got the ability as a running back to turn power into speed. Because he really is a power back. But, man, he turns power into speed very quickly, and then he's out into the open field, and he's got some really good open field moves. So um, I think he's going to be a big part of this attack as a runner, and I think his uh, addition to the passing game will get better as the season goes along. You love to see Alvin Kamara as the wily veteran now, as kind of like yeah. helping coach now. He's coaching the younger guys. And, you know, I know Kendra Miller is is not the same back as Alvin Kamara, but he's not that far off as far as style goes. I think he could be a compliment for sure to Kamara. Yeah, he doesn't have quite the, the nifty moves or the initial quickness of Alvin. But, man, um, I know last year in talking to Coach Sonny at TCU, I asked him, what do you got? And he said, Mike, I got a back. You don't have a lot of mileage on the speedometer. So we're going to really lean on him because he didn't know what he had in match. Right. Got to remember, his starting quarterback gets hurt. So he's got to go to the number two guy and ends up being Max. Max has a great year, but early on, they really leaned on Kendra to kind of bail him out uh, in right. certain uh, down and distance situations, and Miller was able to do it. I think he's a really good pickup for this football team. He would not have been around in round three had it not been for the MCL injury. Okay, no matter what, it's the same thing I try to tell people about Tajay Spears. You got to remember that a lot of times this comes down to a medical decision. I know at least five or six teams that flunked Tajay. They were like, no, uh, they, we saw the x-rays and everything. We, we're going to pass on him. <coughs> With Kendra, it was the MCL injury, how quickly he could come back from it. He would have been a second-round pick had it not been for the knee injury uh, he sustained against Michigan. He would have been a second-round selection. So uh, his progression as a receiver, to me, has been a good surprise. I knew he could catch, but it was his route running skills I I didn't know about, and I think he's really improved in that area. But, man, power into speed, (laughs) he's got it, and he's going to break away once he gets out into the open field from a would-be arm tackler. And they got a lot of those in this league. If you would like to ask Mike a question, feel free to leave it in the comments. If you're watching on YouTube or if you're watching on Facebook, leave it in the comments. I will show the comment on the screen, and we'll ask it to Mike. Or if you just have a general comment, we'll take that as well. I'm a little biased, Mike, because I watched Tajay um, from his freshman year at Ponchatoula uh, and watch him grow. And I, I said that kid in his senior year. I'm like, this kid's going to be special. Yeah. I didn't know he was going to end up being what he turned out to be. And I really hope he gets a significant role with the Titans. I really do. But uh, I, being bi- I'm biased, and again, nothing against Kendra because I think he's going to be uh, an important piece of the Saints puzzle for a little while now. But I would have loved to see Tajay Spears in New Orleans. Uh, all I know is the Titans are thrilled to get him. I bet they are. He's the perfect complement for Derrick Henry. 
And um, I'm a big Derrick Henry fan. Derrick's not the greatest pass receiver coming out of right. the back. Uh, Tajay is. And every and you got to give Derrick a little bit of a break because of the style of runner he is. I can't – think about it, Jim. Can you compare anybody in the NFL today to Derrick Henry over the last 10 Oh, years? no. You know, no. Who I, you know who I compare Derrick Henry to? Earl Campbell. Yeah, but the, here's the thing. Earl was 5'11". Derek yeah, is six foot three, and he's two hundred and forty-five pounds. I ain't tackling him, man. And you get him now. He runs a bit straight up in the air, which means he takes a lot more hits than he should. But boy, he gives it out too. You see a lot of Ole moves from guys. Exactly, man. I don't want to tangle with Derrick Henry. Exactly, those uh, shots. But I think it's a really good. Yeah, sometimes the man upstairs puts you in the right place, right time. I think it's a really good fit for Tajay in Tennessee because of the role they're going to ask him to play. He's not going to be their heavy-duty runner. He's going to be the guy to spell Derek and be the receiver coming out of the backfield, which is great for him. I think it's perfect. Now, you talk about a sorry offensive line. They got it. and Man, it ain't good. Skoronsky, the center, is the, I mean, the guard, their first-round pick. He's the best player they got. Everybody else is piecemealed all across the board. That's where, in game one, the Saints have to win with their defensive line against an offensive line that if you were grading them, the first number would be a three. They'd either be 30th, 31st, 32nd. There's no doubt. What a coincidence, though that Tajay and the Titans open up in the Superdome for a regular season yeah. week one. That, that's kind of interesting. And Demario Davis, he better be healthy by then because they're going to need him to have 10, 12, maybe 14 tackles in that game. Yeah. My thing is you cannot let Derrick Henry square his shoulders and get upfield. you yeah. got to kind of slow him down in the, in the backfield a little bit because once he gets ahead of steam going – and a lot of guys is going to take him down. But if you can stop him early, my thing is, you know what? I slow down Derrick Henry. I'll force Ryan Tannehill to beat me. Okay, yeah. if you're going to beat me, beat me with Tannehill. But I'm not going to let you beat me with running Derrick Henry 25, 30 times. Right. That's what they're going to try to do. There's no, there's no question that's the goal. You know? I mean, we've seen the Saints try it with Kamara at different times against – certain opponents, but uh, there's no question that's what Tennessee wants to do every game if they can. Uh, there's some numbers on the screen. Uh, I want to talk about your what you think about this team going forward this year, and obviously they have some interesting odds. You talk about the goal sheet, so I know you understand what all these numbers mean. But, uh, you know, Saints win total is the one that I find interesting. It's it's nine at most places. It's Caesar Sportsbook, which, by the way, is the official odds partner of bet.nola.com. Uh, the over... Nine and a half is it's juiced the other way. It's juiced to the and I'm, I'm at, didn't type in under there. It should say under minus one twenty five. But you know, Mike, talk a little bit about an, a realistic goal for the Saints uh, this year. This schedule they have, they don't play any real tough quarterbacks, at least not in the regular season. I mean, you know, you could call Trevor Lawrence, I guess, uh, maybe he, one of the toughest if you go through. But but really, go ahead, Mike. I, go. I mean, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, and so that's why I picked 10 games. I picked them to win 10. I think schedule, and schedule does matter. 
people can say what they want to say. Right. It doesn't matter who you 100%. play when you play them and not playing the gunslinger quarterbacks in this league. You don't face Joe Burrow. You don't face Patrick Mahomes. You don't play Jalen Hurts. You okay? Uh Herbert. You don't even play Dak. Her, yeah. No Herbert. No, you know, no, so, no Aaron Rodgers. My thing is Trevor Lawrence is, I think, going to be the toughest quarterback you play. The one guy that's given this team some issues, though, no matter where, Kirk Cousins. Kirk yeah. has given this team some issues. I don't care if he's been in Washington or he's been in Minnesota. I, I don't know why. Knocked him out of the playoffs. He, he's been a guy that has matched up well against the Saints. But if you're talking about the top quarterbacks in the league, you're not playing them other than Trevor. That's why I think that's a plus. I think you've gotten better uh, along the defensive line. And stopping the run is a priority. And it drove Ryan Nielsen crazy last year. Yeah. I can tell you, Ryan, <laughs> every week he was upset that they early on up until midseason had difficulty stopping the run. And then it clicked in a little bit later. I think the strength of this team is the secondary for the Saints. Come on, Jim. You and I, we've covered this team for a long time. They ever had at one shot Marshawn Lattimore, Alante Taylor, Paulson Adebo, Bradley Roby, uh, Omadi. You go, I think he's really, really played well. Uh, he would be your fifth guy in the history of this franchise that never had five guys. No, I agree with that for sure. That could play like that. Never. It's usually I, a weakness. And so I think with a year playing together with Marcus May and Tyron Matthew, that's going to help them. Um, one of the rookies that has really come across well has been Jordan Howell. Yeah. Jordan, you know, because it's interesting when they give a veteran day off to Tyron or to Marcus, it's not been, you know, Jonathan Abram. Or it's not been Lonnie Johnson. Hey, how? You get in there. You're the guy. You're the rookie. He's not overwhelmed. He's smart. He understands this game at a high level. And at Minnesota, he had over 500 snaps as a special teams player. So he can help me in that category also. Um, the safety unit is good, uh, but... The cornerback group is really, really good. And so uh, I think about that improvement at tight end, the development of Olave at receiver. Hopefully, if you can get double-digit games with Michael Thomas, That's Rashid, the goal. man, you, you've got some weapons here now. Uh, certainly the question mark is your paper thin at, at linebacker. And I'm talking about typing paper thin at that level and offensive line is to me every bit as concerning a unit as it was a year ago for I, me. I a hundred percent agree to me. O-line scares me more than any other spot on the field. I hear you with linebacker definitely super thin there. I mean, Pete Werner has a history of uh, getting hurt and DeMario is already hurt in the preseason. We don't know how hurt, hurt he really is. We hope, that by week one, he's able to come back and be himself, but he's getting a little older. He's getting a little long in the tooth. I mean, so that, that is a cause for concern, but me, to me, O-line is 
if if they can stay together and be cohesive and get lucky and not have injuries, I think they'll be okay. I think they're more along the lines of maybe a 20th ranked type O-line and not 30th. But if they have w- one injury there, that first number is definitely a three, like you said. I think yeah. uh, they've got to avoid that. That That's really concerning for me. So schedule playing a number of young quarterbacks. Now, first thing, you're going to get somebody type in because we get it on Sports Talk all the time. Oh, RG3 beat him as a rookie. Okay, I get it. How long was that? That was a long time ago. That, that was a few years back. But if you were defensive coordinator, I would much rather play the rookie quarterback who I can confuse a little bit. RG3 really, he had that one great year, but he was impromptu a lot and yeah. that he ran the ball a lot. That And so that throws you off. And certainly Anthony Richardson, when they're going to play him, when they play the Colts, come on, Anthony Richardson doesn't scare me throwing the ball. He scares me running it. He does scare me running it, though. It, it, you know, and this is a whole different, a whole different subject. But I mean, th- to compare him to Lamar Jackson is crazy, because I, just, I mean, it, he's going to be lucky to throw complete fifty-two, fifty-four percent of his passes, which is awful at, at any level, but especially in the NFL, it's it's horrendous. I mean, he was six to seventeen last night. I was watching the highlights this morning. They're showing this dime he threw to the left sideline to a tight end. I'm like, well, let me see the other. Uh, seven, 16 passes. I mean, it was six of 17 in the preseason against the number two defense. Okay. Some of these people that are on national TV, I really wonder how they get the job. And so do I. Did you not watch him at Florida? And don't tell me Florida don't, it's not a talented team. They got talent at Florida. <laughs> and yet he struggled with consistency and accuracy. He would blow hot and cold, hot and cold. And here's the worst part about it as an evaluator. He would do that during a game. It wasn't game to game. It was basically the series. Quarter to quarter. scared you was he'd get out in the open field, okay? they flush him out, sort of say pressure-wise, and then you say, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Because, man, he could take off and run. On his good games, he was really scary but there were other times he would miss wide open receivers downfield that doesn't all of a sudden change when you go to a much tougher league in the nfl you know most great years but not today most great players mike you hear their college coaches i don't know that i've heard billy napier talk about him at all uh billy sort of tapped the break didn't he yeah Uh, I did. Have you heard Dan Mullen, who had him, say anything extraordinary? No. So that do a lot because both are offensive-oriented coaches. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's no question the kid has athletic talent, and you never hope for anyone not to succeed. But I just didn't understand the, the major hype and him going up to be the third pick of the draft. It didn't make any sense to me. I mean, I you know, I wish no ill will to the Colts, but, I mean, you know, the Bidwells aren't the, uh, the Bidwells. I mean, Ursays aren't the most, uh, you know, the greatest owners on the planet, you know. Doug Williams told me this years ago, he said, uh, Mike, be careful of wow workouts. It can, right. it can, and, you know, and Doug was like, 
I didn't have the greatest workouts, you know, and like you said back then, it's nothing. Right. Like it, hey, but he said, you know, you sometimes get caught up in the moment. That workout, wow, look, that talent. But he's not throwing against pressure. He's not having to exactly. read a bridge. He's not having He's still to- six for 17. It's, it's, it's seven on seven. Okay. And, and so for Doug to say it, I, I get exactly where he came from when he told me that. Insane. Well, uh, before we jump on uh, to another topic, I want to ask you your opinion. Uh, NFC South, basically even money. I think if I'm going to bet, I think I would probably rather take someone like the Panthers, who I think are being completely underestimated. I really think the Panthers are being underestimated this year. If Bryce Young is is as good as I think he's going to be, I think they're going to be formidable. But the Saints at even money, do, do, do you think that's a, a value bet or no? Yeah, I do. I think the team that will give the Saints the most problems is Atlanta. Okay. And why us? I do know Arthur Smith pretty well. I, I do pregame uh, for the Tennessee Titans, their draft stuff. Now, we take so much of that. But everybody's been right. I mean, well, it's the magic of tape uh, today. Um, a lot easier today. Yeah, yeah. And so, Arthur, I saw what he did with the Titans when he was the offensive coordinator there. I think he'd like to play a little keep away with Atlanta. Understanding he's got hit, now he's got five pretty good offensive linemen, but he's got a really strong backfield. Then you throw in B. John Robinson into the mix. Kyle Pitts, a king-sized tight end. Drake London, a king-sized receiver. Now, I can't tell you too much about Desmond Ritter. Well, I was going to say, are you, are, you, are you thinking Desmond Ritter is going to take a step forward? Yes, I do. Now, how many steps is the question? Because I thought in last year's draft class, I, I had Kenny Pickett as the top quarterback yep. and Desmond too. I, I thought Desmond, he's mature, he's smart, he gets it. But I always thought it would take him a little while. He did a lot of impromptu stuff with Cincinnati. Uh, yep. He made the plays. And again... Sean Payton and I had spoke about this years ago about when you evaluate a quarterback, the hardest thing is how quickly can they process information on the field, not in the film room, but on the field, because you're like a fighter pilot. It's got to be done like that to make the right choice. You're not sitting back there. Well, I might throw it to so-and-so or so-and-so. Look, you're not Al Bundy, and you're not playing at Polk High School. Okay? That's that's different. High school football and the pros, how quickly it all comes from Desmond Ritter is still, and he, he's not been overwhelming in preseason. Uh, let me just say that. I've right. seen, uh, he hasn't overwhelmed me there. But they've got a lot of talent around him. I think they'll be a little bit better on defense. Uh, Jim, the crazy thing is, over the last 10 years, this team has not gotten over 40 quarterback sacks in any of the last 10 years with Atlanta. And if you can't put pressure on the quarterback, you're in bad shape. There's so no I why they signed Caden Ellis and Anyamata and bringing in Calais Campbell. You know, Campbell's not going to be the 25-year-old Campbell, but he can help you in, in certain down-and-distance situations. Um, so I, I just have a feeling Atlanta might be the tough out. I think the Panthers a year from now 
are going to be different. Not because of Bryce. He's going to go through the growing pains. I saw what he did at Alabama. He bailed them out time after time after time. Name me the receivers for the Panthers today. Uh, well, I don't know. They don't have DJ Moore anymore. And do they still have Terrace Marshall? And Adam Thielen. Okay, Terrace Marshall oh. and Adam Thielen. Okay, so my thing with them is going to be, can those receivers get open without pressure getting to Bryce? Uh, I, I, I see where you're coming from. Their offensive line is rebuilt, and I think it's solid. Their running game, really good. We'll, we'll see how that goes. Their defense, especially front seven, is pretty good, and they've improved in the secondary. They've spent a lot of early-round picks secondary-wise. My thing is, in this game today, which is all about pitch and catch for the most part, I wonder about the catch. Yeah. It's not the pitch. It's the catch. The pitch is fine. <laughs> and so, like any young quarterback, you're going to go through the growing pains of being a rookie in this league. It's not easy. Peyton every year would make this comment about, I'm just looking for one of you guys to break my interception record. You know, <laughs> rookie, I, I just want one of you guys to do it. Um, when he was at Manny Camp, he would, he, and he'd get a big laugh about it, but goes to show, was anybody more prepared to play pro football than Peyton Manning? No. And look what happened with him as a rookie. It yeah, he was terrible not, his rookie season. It's not that easy. And when you're talking about Terrence Marshall, who I, I like, but can he stay healthy? And Adam Thielen is entering or is in the winter year. I was going to say, he's got to be 34, 35 years old. Yeah. I mean, what I don't know. There, I, I still think, and I really like Frank Reich going there. I think is going to be, is going to kind of turn that, that franchise around. But one of those, the numbers that, that kind of stick out to me, and I know it's the schedule, but the fact that the Saints are plus 105 to win the South and minus 180 to make the playoffs tells me, we talked about this yesterday, yeah. that, that Vegas thinks there's going to be more than one team coming out of the NFC South, which means, which also tells me 10 wins might not be good enough to win the NFC South. You might have to win 11 games to, go, to win the NFC South. You know, it was crazy last year. Um, right after Super Bowl Sunday, we were doing a show at um, Silver Slipper. The Saints were seven and a half wins. Yeah. So I, I'm like, what? I told everybody, oh, no, Easy I got money. the money. I, I'm going to bet on this. Uh, now, they didn't get to seven and right. a half. They didn't get to eight wins. But it went seven and a half, eight, eight and a half. And I think at one time, maybe got to nine. I think it at, briefly did get to nine. At, at one time. The uh, Tampa Bay Bucks had won 13 games the year before. Soon as Ryan Jensen goes down at center, it goes from 13 to 12 to 11 and a half. Okay, the Saints win, what, seven games? What did the Bucks win the division with? Eight. They won eight games, yep, eight and nine. Eight. That so, was one of my plays of the year, too. So I got, I was, I was two and one. I had Carolina. I didn't bet on Atlanta, but I had the Carolina over the Tampa Bay under and the saints over. I mean, I thought the saints over was one of the best bets ever last year. I mean, yeah. how, how could a team not win eight games? And then you came so close a couple of different times that Tampa sure. Bay should have finished the deal and you didn't do it, but whatever my seven and a half went down the drain, but I was like you, I took the under with Tampa 
because of the fact I knew what that center position meant. Tampa couldn't run the ball at all without Ryan. No doubt about it. Now, where I think you may make some hay here, and this may be crazy, I think the Bucs are going to be a little bit better than people think. Okay, well, it wouldn't take much for them to be better than what I think. Because their offensive line healthy, I think, you know, with Ryan back, and they've done a little bit of retooling, I think we'll be pretty good now. Oh, I know about Baker Mayfield. He's hot and cold, hot and cold, hot and cold. But, man, I got Chris Godwin and Mike Evans to throw the football to. But how long before Kyle Trask gets in there? Yeah, well, I I know enough about Kyle. If that's the case, then I'm in trouble. But they win over the amount of games that's picked. I think theirs is six and a half. We've been doing team by team. Okay. I think they'll win seven. You think I win seven? You're a lot higher on them than I am. Um, I don't think they're going to win seven. My, we're doing team by team previews. We had the Jets this morning, team number twenty of thirty-two. Uh, the NFC South is last, so I'll be doing them week after next. Um, so I don't want to give too much away, but I, I I don't see how Tampa doesn't finish fourth in this division. They actually have a you know it's it's a middle mid range schedule. The other three teams, if you look at toughness of schedule, it's like thirty, thirty-one, and thirty-two. Tampa Bay actually has like a 20th-ranked schedule. That schedule is a little tougher because they finished first. Yeah, and because of the the first-place schedule. But I still think this division is going to be condensed where the winner will, and I think it's the Saints, will win 10. Mm -hmm. I think Tampa is at the low point. They win seven. Okay. And, you know, it's jammed between Panthers-Falcons at eight and nine. Eight wins or nine wins. I think that's very possible. I think it could be 10, 9, 8, 7. I mean, that's a possibility for sure. Again, none of these teams except for Tampa really play tough tough teams and tough quarterbacks, so that's going to help them going forward for sure. It's going to be an interesting division. I'm looking forward to it for sure. Mike, before I know we're getting getting a little long here, I definitely want to go back to Steve Sidwell because I want to I want to just touch on LSU before we go off the air, but just just tell me your your memories about Steve. Obviously, you know, we might have been in different capacities back in the in the eighties, but uh, we were still, you know, we were we were watching him in our twenties and thirties, and just just talk about what what Steve Sidwell meant to you and the New Orleans Saints. First of all, he was a great guy. He, he's a terrific coach, but he was an even better human being. Uh, you know, he he knew you had a job to do. Some coaches are very thin skinned, and if you said something negative. They didn't like it, even though they knew it was true. You didn't have to worry about that with Steve at, at all. And I think about that staff. And, okay, Steve did not become a head coach, but Dom Capers did. Vic Fangio yep. Vic coached the outside linebackers. Right. Scott and, and Steve coached the inside guys. He coached Vaughn and Sam Mills. J.L. Morrow. Jim Morrow became a head coach in this league. And of all the guys, John Peace was the biggest character. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. John, (laughs) before practice, he would take a ball and he would punt it to himself. You know, he would just kick it up. Big John Peace did? No, like a kid. You know, like you in the backyard and you punt it and catch it. That's what John did. And, uh, man, I don't know anybody who used more talcum powder than than John Peace. Like, and then, you know, when powder gets – 
you know, it gets hot and it's sticky to you. It would, it would get on your skin or your, your hair and all. John had that all over. And he would take like four or five showers a day. <laughs> that was just peace the way he was. But Sid, man, he was just a great guy, a really smart coach. He understood the egos on a team and how to finesse that very, very well. And he was a great strategist. Uh, he, he really was a smart guy in his business, and he would always say, you know, Michael, it's not splitting the atom. It's not splitting the atom. It's football. But he understood, and he told me something a couple years back at Manning, and he was like, listen, I want you to tell this to Bobby. And I told him this before. When in the biggest games come playoff time, we were not our best on defense. Yeah. And he got a lot of the blame for it. And he took it like a man. He said, you know, Bobby took it like a man because it's either the coach or the quarterback. That's the reason why. <clears throat> but he said, as good as we were, and the Dome Patrol was, we weren't great come playoff time. We weren't. And he said, I can't tell you why. He said, I just wish because of the fans – because of the people, how much this city embraced me, my family, everybody else. We could have won more for him come playoff time. He said it just didn't. But he said, no goes to show you how good of a coach Sean Payton is. No, there's no doubt. I'm not going to appreciate Sean until he's out of here. This was right before Sean left. And I, I think for some people, they get it today. That, well, oh, well, we should have won three Super Bowls. Okay. They got a lot of teams that wonder today about, man, we should have beat so-and-so in the playoffs, but we didn't. Uh, Dan Marino should have won a Super Bowl. Was that? Dan Marino should have won a Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, and so I'll never forget Jake DeLome telling me this. He was like, man, Mike, you know, we play on Super Bowl Sunday, we lose late, and he said, you would figure. Vinatieri kicks one, <laughs> win, it, win it for the uh, Patriots. And he said, so I'm walking off the field, but I stopped and watched the celebration. Because he said, you know what? Next year, we're going to be in that spot. He said, guess what? I never was on that field again. We, we never yeah. were in that position again. It's a lot easier to think, you know, especially if it happens early in someone's career, like for Marino, for instance. You know, you think it's going to keep happening. I'm sure Dan Marino, when he played the 49ers in the Super Bowl, got his butt whipped, and I'm sure he thought, he probably didn't look around because he probably figured, I'm a young dude. I'm going to be back here again. I think it was only his second or third year. I mean, I'm going to be back here and do this again. So, I mean, and know, it didn't happen. You talk about that. Uh, we had on uh, Joe Burrow's dad, and mm -hmm. I, I told him when they lost that game, I thought about Jake DeLone and Joe Burrow. Joe sort of hung around, too, and sort of was watching what was going on. And it reminded me of Jake's story about, man, I'm, I'm looking around, and you think about the AFC today. It's so tough. About the Chiefs and Mahomes, all these young quarterbacks. Josh Allen's never been able to make it yet. <clears throat> and Joe's getting the crap kicked out of him. Yes, yeah, he is. But an offensive line, who knows uh, what's happening there. But getting back to an initial thought, Steve was a terrific defensive coordinator, he knew how to handle people and egos. He always made you feel comfortable with him. There aren't a lot of people in this world today, if you sit down with them, they make you feel comfortable. Right.
And I think he made an effort to make you feel comfortable with him. And like I said, he had that really deep voice. And it was, you know, the only person that calls me Michael was my mom. No one else did, but he was, oh, Michael. And, and, and you know, you, you, he had that voice to him. Great guy, super coach. Is going to be missed. I know you fought some health issues yeah. over the last few years, but he was watching the Netflix feature on quarterbacks the night that he passed away. Really? How about that? That's insane. You know, hey, listen, if I'm going to go, <laughs> you might hope that's what I want to go do, and I want to be watching that sort of stuff. I want to go about five minutes after the Saints win their fourth Super Bowl. How about that? That yeah. that would have worked for me. Yeah. Uh, it's a we're talking about Al Bundy and Paul Kai, it, but it's one of uh, Al's great lines. He told Peg that uh, I'll know you win the Powerball the day after I die. <laughs> I, I thought it was a great line, but for some of us, you sort of think about that, you know. There's no doubt, and for the, those younger, Mike's talking about a show called Married with Children back in back in the day, which which is hilarious. And if you don't know what he's talking about. Go YouTube it and find it. It's absolutely worth watching. Before we move on from, from Coach Sidwell, I want to read one quote to you that we ran in, in the paper this morning from Pat Swilling, who said, everything he did as far as bringing that defense to New Orleans, I'd like to say it changed my life. He really helped shape my career. His defense was great. Me, Ricky, Sam, and Vaughn were the first to play in that defense in the NFL, and you saw what we did in it. I mean, what... Is there any bigger praise than that from, you know, from a guy in Pat Swilling who clearly was in that upper echelon of, of Saints defensive players? Yeah, you think about Pat, he was the defensive player of the year. Well, he could rush the quarterback. I mean, you know, he started to tilt the field. Everybody, oh, well, Ricky helped make him. Well, and Pat helped Ricky. Okay. Yeah, 100%. Great off with all that. Um, yeah. It's the same thing about Montana and Jerry Rice. Uh, okay? John Taylor. <laughs> and John Taylor and some of the, uh, the tight ends that they had also. You know, Hank Stram said this years ago about to win it all, you got to have it all. Yeah. And I do believe that that is a big part of it today. To win it all, you got to have it all. I don't know back then, defensively, you had probably it all with the Dome Patrol, because you could put so much pressure. And you talk about Frank Warren, Jim Wilkes, those guys up front. But the offensive firepower, yeah, you had Dalton, you had Eric Martin, but you never had that guy that really scared you up the field. You never had that guy. And in the heyday of Washington, Giants, 49ers, and then – if you hear the hoofbeats, it was the Cowboys with Jimmy right. and Troy Aikman and Irvin and Emmett Smith. The Saints were there, but it was those disappointments come playoff time. But Steve always carried on, and he, he I think he was, I don't know if you want to use that term, a player's coach, because he was always, he wanted you to do the very best you could, but he put you in that situation to do the best you could. He was more of a player's coach than his boss. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, his boss, <laughs> his boss was my way or the highway. Yeah. And that's just the way it's going to be. But, you know, Jim, thinking about it, uh, Jim Moore was like a lot of other coaches back then. 
Well, we, we had Coach Moore on this show about a year ago, I think about the same week or maybe a, a week before that. It's funny because he's mellowed out a lot. Um, and I, and I, and I asked him about his relationship with the media, and he's basically said, you know, if you don't ask me a stupid question, then we're, we're fine. Because he said, I, was, I like those guys a lot more than I let on, and I'm thinking about uh, horse hockey. No, no, he'd have blew the circuits out the lot of tech. Exactly. The funniest line is we do in sports talk um, – about two months ago, Jim comes on, and we talking and talking, and I ask him a question. He's like, Mike, do me a favor. Tell Bobby to stop calling me coach. I'm not <laughs> coaching anymore. So uh, I asked him the question. He answered it. I gave it to Bobby. Bobby's first thing is, Coach Moore, let me ask you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and he starts that window. We all must laugh at him. Bobby's like, what's going on? He said, no, Coach, I can't get out of the habit. I got to call Coach. He said, okay, Bob, I got it. I got it. Well, I mean, he, you know, Coach Moore is, what, 88 years old now? I want to look like that when I'm 88. I'm just saying that. And, and still be as active. He's still it's insane. And um, you know, that sort of thing. The only thing he complained about is, oh, man, you know, sometimes on Channel 6, they keep me up past my bedtime. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> he's, he's still wonderful. Well, before we let you go, Mike, I want to get your thoughts on, to me, LSU, Florida State, uh, I don't think there's been enough talked about with this game. I think that the winner of this game, and I know it's only week one, and I don't care, I think both of these teams have a legitimate chance to make the college football playoff. I think they're both top five caliber type teams. I can't wait to see what Jaden Daniels does for LSU. But Florida State's got a pretty damn good quarterback, too. I think they're going to win the ACC. And if they win this game against LSU, I think they could run the table. I agree with you. The only kind of tripwire game would be against Clemson. And, man, they've had some difficulties uh, against those Tigers. They've had some difficulties Jim, one of the things, and it's a small sample size, but I think enough. You know, in the last 10 games, LSU has played Florida State. They two wins, eight losses. Okay, it doesn't matter who was the coach, who was the players, or anything else. You have not matched up well against Florida State. Now, you say, oh, last year, uh, just a, the, few, uh, the extra point. No matter what, Florida State still won the game. Yeah, and well, LSU was lucky to be in that situation anyway. And, man, listen, and Jaden had got off to a rough start, all the turnovers with the muff punts, that you were in that position was unreal. But it did set you up for the Alabama game. And Jaden told me this at Manning. He said, you know, we scored a touchdown, and I looked toward the sidelines toward Coach Kelly, and he was, stay on the field. Stay on the field. <laughs> right. Brian was, no, I ain't letting this up to no kicker. Uh, you go for the two points, and we end it. Uh, so one event affected the other event. I agree with you. I think both of these teams are top five teams. Both are really talented. Uh, both have really good offensive lines. Uh, both have experienced and talented quarterbacks. I didn't think I lived long enough to say this, but the weakness on LSU is that corner and the yeah. strength of Florida State is king-size receivers at a position where I think they have the advantage early. I, I think the receivers over defensive back has an advantage early in the season. Uh, my thing would be is be patient, but the over might be to play. 58, this, it's going up big. It's going up from, <laughs> I think it was 56 and a half just a few days ago. I had to redo this, this little graphic. Yeah, because at one time, 
I think the first week we were in Mississippi was 55 and a half. Yeah. So it's one whole point, which goes to show you, I think most people think like us, that it may start out slow and then become a track meet toward the end. And then now the events of this week with not having Mason Smith yeah. to be able to affect the pressure on a quarterback and stop the run. One of the things Mike Norvell, he would always talk about is, I'm still old school in that I want to set up the passing game with the run. And he wants to run the football. If LSU can stop the run, and th their strength on defense is front seven, safeties. Right. And I'm Sam, I would keep an eye on him. He's the hybrid safety linebacker that they really, really like. And so stop the run and say, you know, this is crazy, but Travis beat us. Okay, beat us throwing the football. Now, corners for LSU, you know, with Alexander and Chestnut, who knows what's going to be around them. That is the big question mark for LSU because I think offensively, they're going to put up a lot of points each game. And Jaden Daniels is a much improved quarterback. Their running game is always going to be sort of running back by committee. But with Josh Williams, uh, with Noah Kane, with Logan Diggs, I'm, I'm intrigued with Caleb Jackson because, man, I heard people say, oh, he's had a rough camp. I was like, give him a little time. Uh, oh, he ain't red shirting Jackson. I'm just telling you, he's too good. Somewhere along the lines in this season, he's going to help you. You have a feature receiver in Malik, Malik Neighbors. Mason Taylor is a really good tight end. And you're strong up front. You're going to win a ton of games. But if I lose a game, I'd much rather lose it to Florida State than Alabama. I think LSU is going to have, because of what you said, the defensive backfield, Mike, against those big physical receivers, I think is going to give LSU a lot of problems. And I also think that LSU can recover from losing a game like this more than Florida State can. I agree with you on, on that totally. Um, the intrigue to me is the matchup because we haven't seen one with this sort of significance early on. I, I know in covering LSU, they've never played an opener like this. Right. Where you have a legitimate top five team you're going up against who could win their conference, who could be a Final Four team, and you could be a Final Four team. My interest in the SEC is, and I told this to Pete Jenkins a couple of weeks back, and he said, Mike, I agree with you. There's no way Georgia is going to be as good as they've been the last three years. 100%. The talent and depth, they don't have near it. But if you look at that schedule. But they could they, still win the championship. They they roll all the way to Tennessee with this without a loss. And we'll see what yep. happens to the volunteers. But they're going to be in the SEC championship game. How good their young quarterback is going to be remains to be seen. Alabama is the most interesting team because I hear it all the time about, oh, Alabama loses those type players every year and they retool. Oh, yeah? Quarterback's going to kill him. Young. Tell me who's the next Will Anderson Jr. Who's I don't have one. Jameer Gibbs. Uh, I don't man, have one. That is going to be difficult to replace those guys, and especially at the most critical position on the team. 
I think A&M is going to be maybe the most improved team in the SEC. They can't be any worse than they were last year because they were flat out bad at times last year. But Jimbo's heart looked like it wasn't in it there at the end. And so, you know, bringing in Petrino, and they're talented, and their offensive line's better. They were really – they had talent on defense. I don't know what was happening on, yeah. on defense. But, man, they got skilled players. They can run the football. I think A&M might be the team that spoils somebody's parade. Uh-huh. I think that they could really be a spoiler team in the SEC West. But I still think LSU, if you said pick a team of the West because of experience at quarterback and talent, offensive line, big-time receiver, big-time tight end, running backs that are really good, your defensive line, once Mason comes back, I think is going to be strong. Really good linebacking core and safeties. Man, cornerback play is a marble mystery tour. But I but think, I think they'll learn. West to be. Yeah, I agree with you, Mike. I really do. And just because I don't necessarily think LSU is going to beat Florida State, and I hope I'm wrong, um, but I, I still think that LSU is going to end up being the team to beat in the SC West. I agree with you. And my favorite bet in college football is Jaden Daniels 10 to 1 to win the Heisman. I love this kid. The way he improved, I'm not saying he's going to be a Joe Burrow and we remember what Joe Burrow did in his junior season and the improvement he made to his. I'm not saying he's going to be that drastic of an improvement, but I think Jay Daniels is going to end up by the end of the season. He's going to be on a lot of watch lists. He's going to be a potential top, you know, first round draft pick. I really believe that. I, I, I agree with you that, on that too. The other guy I'd watch for is that Michigan and JJ McCarthy. Yeah. Uh, yeah I agree. I, man, they're going to finally I, beat Ohio State. Well, he's beat it. Yeah, he beat him. Uh, so my thing is how Harbaugh got out of being suspended for what he was supposed Again, it goes to show the hypocrisy of the NCAA, yeah. how they do things, and yet they're going to bust the kid for a signing. First, yeah, we talked about this yesterday before. on the show. Uh, and so that, that's a much longer story. <laughs> I think talent for talent, Michigan may have more talent than anybody in college football today and McCarthy is going to be a beneficiary of that so maybe to be LSU Michigan in a national championship game that'd be fun Uh, I think Michigan because most people every year they'll always pick Ohio State ain't no way in the world I'm picking Ohio State not with the freshman quarterback uh no that's not gonna happen I think who could be but I I don't trust the the coach is Penn State well I think really gifted uh, across the board but I think Michigan maybe has the most talent of any college football team today of all across the board. So McCarthy would be the other bet if you're going to say, okay, maybe the best team and the quarterback piece together, that has worked pretty well. You can well. bet both of them at those numbers. I yeah. mean, you really can. You can put a little few bucks. I'm just talking about, you know, root beer money, nothing nothing made. Yeah. Don't, don't no, bet your mortgage. Nothing else you're going to have to go to the bank and take out a market. Yeah, yeah we don't want to do that. And so, um, not with these I, interest rates. Can you remember a year? Expectations as high. Saints, LSU, Never. Tulane. Not all three of them at the not same time. Three. Not no. all three. 
No, and you remember, Mike, we used to always talk. Nobody really talks about this anymore, but it used to be a big deal when you talk about the Saints, LSU, and Tulane winning in the same weekend and how it didn't hardly ever happen. And it's like every week you would talk about it. Well, it's been since 1992 or whatever. You, you would always talk about it. Now we're not talking about it anymore because all three teams are, are, are relevant. Saints actually are the, are the ones holding everybody down. But Tulane, to me, I don't understand, you know, and we don't have a lot of time left, but I don't understand why they're not in the top 15. You bring Michael Pratt back. You bring four of your five offensive linemen back. I know you lose Tajay, but they still got a very talented offensive backfield. They've got weapons at wide receiver. I think their defense is still pretty good and mainly intact. Why do you drop from nine to 24? That made no sense to me. I think reputation got maybe with it. I know it's too lame. The bottom line, one guy to watch on offense is the tight end Bauman. Yeah. Okay, now, he sort of made his little mark in Tulane history because he caught the winning touchdown against SC. But he only caught eight passes all season. I think when you lose a guy like Tajay and much more put on the plate of Michael Pratt, he's going to have to go to a guy in the short, intermediate part of the fields that he trusts. Bauman's a six foot four, 250-pound tight end. Man, <clears throat> that's where I'm going. Now, uh, interesting, Brian Kelly recruited him, was trying to recruit him to Notre Dame as a defensive end. His brother's a tight end at Notre Dame today. So watch for Bauman because I think it's going to be a big part of their, much bigger part of their offense than it was a year ago. And, man, Nick Anderson and Dorian were terrific at linebacker. I think they're going to beat Ole Miss. Young linebackers that are impressive also. Um, intriguing first game against a team double digits a year ago in South Alabama who could be a pesky team. And this spread was seven and a half uh, just about three to four weeks ago. And then it dropped to seven and stayed there for a long time. This week dropped to six. So obviously the people with the money are betting on South Alabama. So I found that interesting. Uh, But I still think Tulane is going to cover. Between Tulane and South Alabama – and then they're going to the beat Ole Miss. Interesting team, man, you play Ole Miss. Indeed. I mean, that to me, because uh, I got to see what Kiffin's going to do at quarterback, uh, how he handles a very particular situation here yep. with two quarterbacks that think they're the guy. Hmm. <clears throat> I do know they can run the ball because that Judkins guy, man, he is a tilt the field guy. But can they play defense? Can they, can they play better on the defensive side, the football? It's never been a strong point for Kiffin. You bring in Pete Golding and how that will kind of mesh there. But South Alabama and Ole Miss early for Tulane will tell you a lot about this 2023 Tulane team. If they, if they win those two games, if they beat South Alabama and Ole Miss, they very well could be like going back to that, what was it, 98 season and, and, and Bowden and going 12-0 and or whatever and beating BYU and, and going undefeated. I, I really think that if they win those first two games, and big ifs, obviously, because this conference is so weak this year. I know, I know Memphis is a problem and, you know, they have issues. But I think because the conference being as weak as it is, I really think Tulane also, they can potentially run the table if they can win those first two games. 
thing about it, just like LSU brings back Charles Turner, they bring back Sinceri Hainsworth. Yeah. Okay, he combs everybody down. Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing when you have an experienced center that he sort of gets it. So if if Jaden or Mike, you know, and sometimes quarterbacks get a little antsy, you know, they're <laughs> overhyped, uh, so to speak. And I mean, emotionally, the center call, hey, hey, calm down, calm down. We're going to be okay. Right. Okay with everything. Man, <clears throat> that's worth gold for you if you're a football team to have that experience at the center position. And that's what both Tulane and LSU have. And again, I bring back to Eric McCoy. Other than Derek Carr, he's the most important cat. They got to keep healthy. I bubble wrap him every practice. You know, Mike, I never really thought about that aspect of it. I just thought about the offensive line, the unit as a whole. But I think you're right. I think Eric McCoy, I think you're right. Other than Derek Carr, I'm, I might start. I might steal that one from you because I think you're right. Eric McCoy is the is the uh, the number two guy of importance as you go down the line because you can't win without a center. And again, this offensive line, if they lose anyone, I mean, look, I'm no huge Caesar Ruiz fan, but I yeah. don't want to see Nick Saldaveri playing this early. I mean, I think Nick Saldaveri can end up being a starting guard in this league, but I don't want to see him this year if I don't have to. So, and I hope Ryan Ramchek takes us to, you know, can look like his old self a little bit. So Jim, we'll see. Is you got to be able to run the football when you need to and have to. Yes. At, at any level. When yeah, you need sure. And have to. And it can't just be in the fourth quarter. People, oh, well, get a big lead and then just sit on it. Okay. What if I take you down one, two, three, you got to right. punt. I take you down one, two, three, and you got to punt. No, you got to establish the running game early because if you don't, then the fourth quarter and you can't run, I'm getting the ball back real quick. Yeah. And yeah. I got to catch you. No matter what lead you have, I, I do think that is something with Dennis Allen that deep down inside, I think, bothered him a lot last year on offense. They did not run the football very well at all. And even in plays that looked to be diagnosed pretty well and how it was kind of drawn up, they couldn't get anything out of it. I think that that physicality up front and the lack of it a lot of times because of the way the game is played in high school and college today with a lot of RPO stuff, these young uh, linemen come in, some get it, and a lot of them struggle with it early. I I don't understand. It worked for me in college. Okay, yeah, in college, but it's not working for you here. Got a much bigger, stronger, faster athlete that you're dealing with at the pro level, it's taken a little bit longer for young linemen to get sort of tuned in to the NFL game. And it's really hurt offensive line play across the board in the NFL. Other than two or three teams, nobody's got any type of talent and depth up front on both sides. There is one question before I let you go because someone asked me this and I meant to ask it earlier and I forgot to and something you said sparked it. Do you think there's anything, and I know it happened last year in preseason, do you think there's anything to Ronald Curry calling plays in, in a game? It, it, are there going to be some mix up there with, with maybe Pete taking a step back? Do, do we see Ronald Curry taking a step forward? Or is that just a preseason kind of a reward thing? 
Yeah, and I think it gives Ronald an opportunity to step into a little different role. I think when you're the quarterback coach, you know what you become? You become the middleman. Yeah. But the coordinator and and the quarterback. Uh, Pete played a good role in that between Sean and Drew. He, did. he was the middleman. Okay, you got a problem, come to me, and then I'll go to Sean right. or I'll go to Drew. That's Ronald Curry's role. Okay, today. Because if Pete likes a certain play, but maybe Derek doesn't think it'll work, you go to Curry and say, Coach, um, help me sell this. I, this doesn't work for me. You know, so right. explain to Pete why a little bit it doesn't work. You need that middleman on every team. Between the two guys who gets more blame and and more basically pats on the back than anybody else, head coach and a quarterback. And so I think Ronald Kirk, but this is Pete Carmichael's baby. Believe me, it's his. Do you like what you see between Pete and Derek so far? Yes, very much so. I, I think uh, bringing in John Gruden, I think, yeah. too, sort of helps tell you what he does really good and maybe things maybe not so good. I, I think that you always want information from people that have worked with people before. Um, that resume you have does tell you about future success or non-success. Yeah. So to bring in John to say, you know, Derek didn't run that play real well out of that formation, I think really has helped out. But, you know, it's not so much the coach and the plays. It's all about players and putting them in the right spot to make a play. And I think that's the key for any coordinator. It's putting that player in the right position to make a play. And Mike not, not having and not, and not having 50 players get hurt in the same season. Well, but man, league wide, as much as they have kind of bubble wrapped it's, these practices and everything else, to see all these injuries, Jim, is unbelievable. Yeah. It's uh, more and more, and it, and you know, it's not just football; it's every sport. You know, we talk about it, and I, I, this could be a whole other show. But you know how they baby pitchers today in baseball, and they still get hurt more than. I mean, Nolan Ryan never missed time, and he threw 350 innings a year. And I mean, it's the same with football players. You talk about putting them in bubble wrap; they kind of do, and they've never been more athletic than they are right now. <clears throat> but yet, they still continue to get hurt. Yeah, and so <clears throat> I, I can't give you an answer why. I can't give you an answer why, because you would think with training camp um, years ago used to be you come in here to get in shape. Now you in shape. You're just running the plays that that would be an advantage, and yet has not been from an injury standpoint. It really hasn't. And, Mike, I appreciate you taking a, a, a lot of time out with me this morning because we always love having – there is no one, and I mean this, there's no one that knows, like, you could talk about anything that's happened in Saints history. We go back to any time, but you know details, and that's why we love having you on here. Mike, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much, Jim. Always appreciate it, buddy. Great seeing you. And, yes, Mike could see me because we do, in case you don't know, and you've just been listening to the show. And, again, I appreciate it. No matter how you listen to the show, I appreciate it. So, uh but if you're just listening to the show and you don't know, catch us live, we do the show every 
Friday. Normally at 10 a.m. We did today at 9.30 because that's when Mike could do it. But we do the Friday show at 10 a.m. live on all of our NOAA.com and bet.noaa.com social media channels. So if you want to go look on Facebook, you want to look on YouTube or Twitter, we're there. Um, I think I'm going to start doing more as well. I have my own. Uh, the Datitude uh, has its own page, YouTube page as well. I'm going to try to expand that, try to start doing some things with that. But uh, anyway, so Mike could see me. Uh, we do that show, and it, it's a, you know, we had some fancy graphics that I started working on. It's, it's a whole... It's a whole to-do. It's a whole to-do. But uh, anyway, I like to get Mike on at least at least three times a year. Uh, he'd probably do it more if I asked him, but, you know, I don't want to bother him. You know, I, I, could, I don't mind bothering Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan, Doug Mouton, Garland Gillen. I'll bother those clowns, but I'm not going to bother Mike to tell you. Anyway. Oh, boy. Well, I'm excited that this month is almost over. I tell you, you know, and I say it every year, and I truly mean it, that, you know, you go, to, you go to bed in August and you wake up and it's January, and it's true. But I will say that I, this, all this preview stuff is just it's getting old. I, I say every year I'm not going to do as much as I did the year before, and then I end up doing it anyway. So next two weeks we've got 12 more NFL team previews. Got uh, that first week of... NFL picks column coming up. Um, Uncle Big Nick's going to be coming on the show soon. I don't know if it's going to be next week or we're going to start him the same week that Larry's coming back. Uh, a reminder, if you didn't know this, Larry Holder is going to be my regular Friday guest during the season, taking the place of Jeff Duncan. If you have not caught their uh, podcast, they have a new podcast as well called Saints Insider, and it's a pretty good one. Uh, all the Saints guys from NOAA.com, the Todd McKeon. They are all uh, doing a podcast with my former boss, Zach Ewing, and my friend. Um, pretty good podcast. They, I don't think they have set dates that they do it. I think they just do it a couple times a week. So when it shows up, it shows up. Called Saints Insider, and you can look, at, look for it wherever you found this podcast. So how are we going out today? Um, I thought about this. You know, again, I told you this, I think, last week or the week before. I don't remember. Um, but... Sometimes the song that we go out with, it's like I know it all week. I'm ready for it that week. Uh, whatever the game's over or whatever game's coming up, whatever big game or whatever happened that week, it makes it easy. And I know what song. I didn't know what song. I had to go look around. I know y'all are sick of hearing me talk about the weather. Um, but look, it is what it is. I got I to keep talking about it because this is the craziest, cruelest summer that I think I've ever known. I mean, it really is. I don't, re I don't remember 100 every GD day. But this crap's getting old. And soon, I won't be able to talk about it anymore. So I'm getting out of my system. And how often do I get a chance to end a show with Bananarama? I don't know that I've ever had a chance. This might be my only chance. So here it is, boys and girls. We're going to end the show with Bananarama next week. When we talk to you again, we're going to be talking about real football because we're probably going to be focused a lot next week on LSU and Tulane. LSU opening the season against Florida State. Tulane against South Alabama. Maybe we'll have Uncle Big Nick on. Maybe we'll make some predictions. We hope you come back. and We hope you have a wonderful weekend. Hug the ones you love. Tell the ones you know having a birthday soon. Happy birthday. Well, thank you. 
and we'll see you next Friday. Until then, peace and love, my friends. <laughs>